All right, this is good. Okay, um, before we start, Jack, I really want to thank you for being on my episode. I mean, I really appreciate you being open to the idea of podcast, and it really means a lot to me. That's good. I'm I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. So, hello, everyone. On this episode of the Cyber Cafe, we have a very special guest. We have the founder of Fifth Domain, which is a forty-person company. We have Jack Lindsay. Hello, Jack. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm excellent. I mean, um, I think we had Google Meet before this. I mean, we we spoke a a lot about various topics about cybersecurity, about national security, about um how China is a national threat to almost ev- um almost every country in the world. We spoke about analytics. So I'm, I mean, I'm pretty excited to have you on my show, and I I hope we're gonna have a pretty awesome episode. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, how would you introduce yourself to anybody? Like when somebody asks you, um, who is Jack Lindsay? How do you introduce that? How do you introduce yourself? Generally, quite poorly. Um, uh, I I guess uh, if I was gonna introduce what I do. In terms of work, um, uh, I'm a product manager. Um, a lot of people don't know what that means, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, in our sense, or the sense that I use, I try deliver against kind of board direction for a company um, mm. through the management of their product team, and, and for me, the product team uh, broadly encompasses everything related to go to market. So. Um, your product, your users, your customers. So marketing, sales, um, design, those things are encapsulated in, in, I guess, what a product team is and does. And, and the management mm. of those organized, those functional areas is, is what I do well. Um, and then working well with technology groups to, to deliver against those things, to make that thing possible um, and to make sure that what we're trying to build is realistic. Um, I'm a champion of operating in minimum viable product, uh, getting something to market as quick as possible, seeing what works, what's realistic in the timelines that you have and, and what will be successful without compromising your team or the people who are delivering against it. Right. I mean, like you, um, you, you so basically you speak a lot about um, bringing out the most valuable software product in minimum time possible. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess creating things quickly and then iterating. Mm-hmm. When did you start Fifth Domain? Ah, uh, Matt, 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 Matt Wilcox started Fifth Domain. Um, I manage the, the product function within the team underneath him. Um, but Matt started the company six years ago now, and I've been with him for just under two. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's pretty impressive. So um, now, um, how would you describe your journey from like um obviously um how did you go from who um you I you I think you were into software engineering before right so um yeah so um how would you like to take us through the process of how you went from um, software engineering like what did you do as a software engineer and as a student in college to fifth domain what was yeah, your journey like um, I guess uh, my journey in software has been very hands off the keyboard, which is quite rare for a lot of people. Um, 
I moved straight into a product role in the first software company I worked at. That's at Scene Machines, um, which is a, a really cool startup out of Canberra as well. It's a they do driver monitoring software, um, computer vision technology. They're probably the world leader at the moment. They've been working on it for some eighteen years. Um, many cars that are coming out now that have anything remotely close to self-driving, except for the Tesla, have Scene Machines software in there. Um, so I spent a lot of time immediately operating between software developers uh, and the business side of a company. So I guess my core function was translating uh, between the two. What is being built? What, what can we achieve? What are the limitations? And what do we need to be built? Um, and making sure that we found a middle ground to, to deliver. And I guess that's probably where I lean into my um, MVPs at best um, quite often in the business world. We have a perfect vision of what we want, um, but we want that in six months. Uh, I can get you something working in six months. I can get you perfect in two years. So what is do it done in six months is kind of the compromise that I'm good at navigating. Um, so that's that's the space I started in the seeing machines. I was quite lucky there. It's a, a well-funded startup. Um, they actually had about 120 when I started, 120 people. They grew to about 200. So I got to see what it looks like as a company grows through a number of different phases, um, which is, is a rare experience for a lot. Um, and it also put me in a, a good position to meet a lot of executives who were pretty keen to help out someone who was young. Um, mm. From seeing machines, I, I actually jumped through three or four other startup scale-up businesses. Um, and I seem to always land in this junction of where they're about to be acquired or they had just been acquired. Um, the first company after seeing machines was with eight months, helping them set up their, their processes for acquisition. But that was another software company, a different type of software company, completely different, but um, operated in the same space, developing process around. Sorry, it's got a phone call. Um, That's okay. So I did the same there. They eventually got acquired and I left that company. Um, I jumped into a much smaller software startup, only four or so people with the, the focus of running their product and their technology stack um, through an outsource team in, in India. We had two, one was in India and one was in, in Vietnam. Um, and I guess our focus there was uh, get the go-to-market right, uh, solidify the technology mm -hmm. stack and, and prepare that company for sale, um, which we did. And then I jumped into a, a larger company that had just been acquired by a you know, $1,200, a 1200 person multinational. Um, and I kind of took over the product section of that acquired company uh, while we were going through the phase of integrating with the broader uh, product streams, which was again, another take. Um, and I guess across this time, what I learned to do really well was uh, work flexibly with different teams and different stakeholders and, um, get outcomes really. Like, I guess it's not so much about what's on the dotted line all the time. It's about the outcome that that, that would deliver, um, which I guess led to how I end up in fifth domain. Um, mm -hmm. Before I jump in, do you have any questions on any of that? No, no, I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, I just have one question on, um, I, I just want to ask you, um, what do you feel of, um, do, do you feel like India has an unfair advantage in the software industry? Like Indian specifically? Um, I mean, there's a lot of talent in India. Um, it's, it's hard. It's like, it's a complicated piece, right? Like 
with many services, they get outsourced to India because the work is cheaper. Um, mm. There are advantages that in, in particular for a lot of companies coming and, and outsourcing their work to, to India. It also gives a lot of smaller companies an affordable entrance point. Um, I think a lot of the reason you see so much innovation is because there is cheap resourcing. Um, more and more things like engineering, software development are becoming a commodity and less of a um, in Silicon Valley, you used to see brilliant software developers doing brilliant things. More and more, you're mm. seeing uh, brilliant innovators leverage efficient commodity in terms of software development to create mm. things. Um, and India at the moment is India, Vietnam. Um, there are a few other areas, uh, uh, Nepal. Um, uh, the engineering resources are, are far cheaper there. Um, I don't know if that's the best thing in the world, but that's the way it is at the moment. I mean, that's what I've, I think I was reading an article, but I don't remember where the other day that um, maybe software is engineering resources, resources are getting more expensive in India. What I like the prices are kind of going up now. So it just makes me wonder that um, maybe our greatest flex over um, everybody else is that um, we provide stuff at an affordable price. But what if the, if the prices are going up? What do you think like for any country? Like what can they do to um, um, outperform anybody else? Is it efficiency? Um, more efficiency would be preferred if everybody had the same cost or what would you prefer to do business with? I guess it's, it's hard, right? Like cost of living mm-hmm. drives things up, right? Like in Australia, the cost of living is reasonably high. So immediately our cost of, of sale is quite high. Um, our, we're taxed quite heavily. I mean, I don't know well enough India's tax, but I mean, we're taxed, I would say it's a reasonable rate. I'm a lefty. Um, I mean, I'm, I support these things. I'm, I'm pretty close to a socialist almost. Um, so they drive our costs up, their cost of living, but also the scarcity of the resource and in general, just like an ignorance of what they actually do. Um, every every developer in Canberra, my home city, um, two years out of college is a full stack developer contracting into the government for mm-hmm. five times worth, five times more than they're worth. Um, and no one really knows how to address that. They can't really because the contractor said they're worth something and they'll get the job done. They're not going to be worth the mm-hmm. $140,000, $160,000 that they charge to do it. Um, but that's the nature of software development in Australia in particular. Um, I don't know that it's the best approach, but it's the approach we have. And I think more and more as things continue to outsource, um, being efficient at producing that talent. South Africa is another really good example. A lot of work is being outsourced. Uh, South Africa, they're producing mm-hmm. amazing and hardworking talent. I think that's the main thing that comes out of India is there's a hard work ethic. Um, the job gets done you know it's going to get done and you know the quality will be there if you can guarantee those two things. The price will surge eventually. Um, we talked about when we were on the phone, I don't know if we're jumping ahead and I shouldn't be, but um, managed security service providers, um, NTT, Verizon, things like that, mm. they're quite expensive. A lot of them are starting up in, in places like Australia, America. A lot of organisations are seeing a lot of money. I think that'll probably be the next huge thing to to spawn in um india is 
a cheap cybersecurity resourcing space um, cheaper than what it is in Australia because it is, in Australia at the moment we know we can't fill all the roles and private enterprise will always look for a cheaper alternative because while ever where there's a shortage of talent, the, the, the price of the resource just goes through the roof. And if you look to right. India, there isn't a shortage. There's a, there's a, a job demand, like there's a need for jobs in India. Um, so you can quickly fill those roles at a cheaper rate. Um, I mean, if there's anyone who's listening to this who's interested in starting a MSSP, managed security service provider in India, reach out um, because there's a, a huge opportunity there. Um, mm. Much like outsourcing of technical support, um, call senators early in the 90s um, and now software development, the, the, next, the next tab will be MSSPs. Mm-hmm. Right. So basically using, using um, a, a really good opportunity for Indians would be MSSP. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. I guess we segregate away from my story, which is actually fine. I think the main thing I've, I've realized paying more and more attention to cybersecurity is that there are some paths, if you're trying to enter the field, there are paths that are walked more commonly. Um, I mean, you can a Bachelor of Computer Science, um, do a grad cert in cyber, you're pretty likely mm-hmm. to get a job. Um, it's a fairly standard approach. You can go for kind of online learning self-taught. There are pathways there. Mm-hmm. One of the training programs I did with defense, um, AD, accelerated defense cyber training. If anyone hasn't seen it, you can Google it. Um, we found that the, of the top five performers in the cohort, one of them had a master's. The very best had a master's in cybersecurity. The four had only just graduated year 12. Um, and they were just geeks they tinkered with computers and they were very effective. They outperformed a bunch of people who had bachelor's degrees. Um, so there are many pathways into this, this, this field. You've chosen yourself a fairly unique one. Um, I mean, obviously the, the bachelor's you're working on is standard, but running this podcast, you're getting exposed to a lot yeah. of people. You're getting a lot of exposure uh-huh. yourself, right? Like that's a unique right. pathway. Um, and it's probably going to be a successful one. Um, another really easy way to get in there. Yeah, good. I hope so. (laughs) Um, another really good one would be to start an organization, right? Like cybersecurity isn't all hands on keyboards. I barely touch a keyboard every now and again. I do it to remind people I can, um, that's just because they ask, um, Mm. but I'm slower. I'm nowhere near as effective as someone who's doing it consistently. Right. Like if you're not practicing hands on keyboard work, uh, it's not going to, you're not going to be very efficient. Um, I have to Google a lot. I have to think a lot more because I'm not familiar with, with what's happening anymore. Um, mm. Definitely not to the standard of someone who's coding every day. Um, but you don't have to be, right? Like if you want to enter the cybersecurity field, cool, start an MSSP, right? Um, you want to have an understanding of the ecosystem. You want to understand the concepts, the roles, the people. Um, but you won't be hands on keyboard. You'll be running an organization, but you're still in cybersecurity. You're still benefiting from the knowledge that you've gained. Um, you can move into legal compliance, things like that, right? There are lots of different, everyone views the cyber, like commonly cybersecurity is viewed as hackers. Penetration tests is probably the most common thing. Um, yeah. There's a lot more to it. You, you can be a commentator. There are a lot of those. You'll see them on LinkedIn. There's a lot of noise on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also run a business. You can get into recruiting. There are different ways to have a career in cybersecurity that don't mm-hmm. limit you to uh, Linux. 
That's true. I mean, like we are talking about pen testing. More, there's a lot of stuff going on on LinkedIn specifically. There isn't much on Instagram and YouTube. I mean, if you go on LinkedIn, I mean, cyber security. There's talks of anything related to cyber security. It's almost everywhere. I mean, it could be something as simple as a, um some phishing attacks, some um, a- um false application that got ranked on the Google Play Store. I mean, I have read so many incidents. People have shared videos of um. people like who were installing these crypto apps right um they downloaded the wrong wrong application because of google play store they had ranked the wrong one some person they created a duplicate application of the website version of whatever trading platforms they're using i'm not going to name any platforms over here okay and then um they wanted to use the application for um, for their use as well and this person they had five bitcoins that's a lot of money today so yeah. um yeah so she amended the username and password in this application after downloading and in 5 minutes all her cryptocurrency all bitcoins were gone like just they just disappeared they're gone yeah and she couldn't that's do anything probably, about it it's probably the most common like what you would call cyber attack right as well is mm-hmm. just clicking on some issue and clicked on it's not um mm-hmm. it's, it's often not dramatic or Mm-hmm. advanced um but it's effective it's just mm-hmm. i mean i mean that's pretty basic i mean um have you heard of the pegasus fiber attack in india and all over the countries right now so i was yeah. speaking with um one of my friends and he told me that the the era of email ids to use to be used for phishing attacks is over i mean something as simple as um a setting in your mobile phone if you don't do it right um it it can literally record your um microphone you can use your microphone to record your phone calls um it has used it multiple times to record um whatsapp messages text messages sometimes your maybe your camera but your mic is still there you can still cover up your camera i mean i mean there was a time i think 2 months ago i just i just joined facebook i've never used facebook my entire life okay i'm not from that generation so i just started facebook for social media cuz i was like hey, i have to use it um and then obviously you have all these scams or you know fake women who want to um who are who want to give you video calls and stuff right so i was like okay i and like i figured i'm like okay fine you know what i'm going to record them and expose these people obviously i didn't know what you're supposed to do to expose them properly you supposed to, the way you supposed to gather evidence i was like ah, i will just go for it then um i just taped my um, mobile phone so my camera was black when my, the screen recording turned on because i knew that hey that person's going to record it and blackmailed me for money she um like she was there i wasn't there. like my screen was black so i mean she couldn't like do anything uh, much with the video call but she still tried to threaten me that hey i'm sending this video to people i'm like hey my face isn't in there what are you going to send them <laughs> but again that that's the point right i mean that this thing was a simple very basic form of um cyber security issue or a simple cyber attack now these attacks have become super complicated right i mean i mean for the common man it is very difficult because they don't understand what's going on and everybody um in the mainstream world but with the mainstream media or anywhere else in in they make it so, sound so complex to them in layman terms it becomes way more complicated for them to understand than it actually is so the layman does not understand what's going on but um there are a lot, there are a lot of channels now who who i'm i'm glad that they have taken this um social media and they've 
used it to actually explain what's going on in simple words. Now there are there are lots of good videos out there who explain the Pegasus attack in detail in in simple words. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it, it feels like a lot of people, a lot of people just want to be safe. They don't have to worry about it, which is fair, fair enough, really. Um, and it's kind of, it's, I guess, on private enterprise to walk the line of how they make that possible. Mm-hmm. Most banks now, you can't transfer money without receiving a text message, right? Yeah. That's, that, I guess that's to ensure and to separate mm-hmm. the opportunity for, for cyber attackers to quickly and easily take all of your money, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but again, that annoys people. Like they don't want to have to do that and they don't understand why they do need to do it. Um, it's, it's pretty unlikely we ever get to the stage where everyone is, and maybe actually, maybe I'm wrong. We, we see a lot more cyber literacy in primary schools. So hopefully the next generation coming through have a much stronger understanding of what not to click on, mm-hmm. uh, how to navigate the internet and why we have all these second, second factors to, to protect you. Fair enough. That's true. Um, I think education plays a very important role. I mean, that's one thing that's been missing that in our uh, countries that um, our, our elders, they may or may not have this basic um, tech knowledge on how things work, which is why, I mean, when lockdown started, a lot of teachers in India, they were struggling to understand how this online stream system works because I don't think any teacher across the world, a lot of, a lot of teachers, they don't have access to the, to the technology on a daily basis. And like most students, so they were struggling to understand what's going on. So that's a, that's a pretty simple example of um, explaining the fact that it is very hard for elders. Like the m- most vulnerable target is not ch- children; it's elders because kids know. Like we know what's going on. I mean, most of us are aware about basic scams. I mean, if you if you look at simple scam websites, I mean they look so. They look like crap. They haven't even built the website properly. Their blog section has a welcome to WordPress blog. Are you kidding me? And they're like, we're a legitimate website and you're, you only have one blog that says, hey, this is a WordPress blog. You know that um, default template that pops up when you start a blog. <laughs> I mean, they haven't even built the website properly. I mean, if you want to do a scam, do it right. <laughs> do it right. Whatever you want to do. You want to protect somebody, do it right. If you really want to scam someone, scam with all your heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, make it count. I mean, it's more embarrassing for you when you don't, when you try to scam and you you fail at that. That's that's terrible. Yeah, it probably lands a lot more than you think they're right. <laughs> yeah. The scatter approach, hit everything and hope something sticks. Uh-huh. I mean, that may work in like cold calling or something like that. I mean, initially when I started this podcast, that's what I would do. I would call DM people on LinkedIn and all these platforms and they do work. Like not everybody replies back and that's okay with me. And that's, that's actually what you're supposed to do over there and write simple messages. Some people end up writing such long messages on cold DMs. I mean, I would, um, when I talk to people after the recording gets over, they tell me that um, you asked in simple words, you just asked me a one line that, hey, I liked your content. I would love to have you as a guest on a podcast. And that's all I write. I mean, um, some people t- um, tell me that other people, they're like, I come, um, they write really long paragraphs on why you should come to my podcast. And I mean, I don't think anybody reads that. Yeah, no, I guess too much. Because you, you get a lot of them, right? Mm. I mean, you're inundated with, with messages on LinkedIn quite often. Um, mm. Short ones are easy to consume. Long ones, uh, after the first few sentences, I get distracted. 
Uh, yeah, fair to, enough. To be honest. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that's yeah, when... Yeah. yeah. And like even DMs, like um, a lot of my guests, they're also, um, they're also into email. How often do you use email? Yeah, at least daily, right? Definitely for work. Um, it's definitely something I have to check daily. Yeah. It's probably well, one I, of the first things, right, is log in, deal with emails. End of day, deal with emails. Yeah, I mean, I barely, use, that, I barely use sorry, email. No, you go on. I was just saying that I barely use email. What about you? you know, a lot more people have transitioned to things like Slack. Like most of our inter-office communication is Slack. Most people mm-hmm. won't send a, an email. They'll send a Slack message that has the, the contained. And I guess part of that is probably the formality. Everyone feels like mm-hmm. you have to be formal and lengthy in your emails when you never did. Um, but Slack is, is much more casual. Hey, give, mm-hmm. whatever you wanted to say. Yeah, Slack is more casual, but I think it's, I think that's how, like, I, we use WhatsApp groups and stuff. We have WhatsApp groups. We, I yeah. only check my email to make sure I have no re- unread messages left. I just click and go back, click and go back. If there's some important document to be downloaded, unless I have, like, so let's say a timetable to be downloaded or some Google form to be filled. That's the only time I actually read through the message. Otherwise, I don't even look at it. Because there's a lot of promotional stuff as well. I mean, email is pretty distracting. I, I don't check my email. I only look at my DMs. <laughs> yeah. That'll change. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it may, like there are some people I have had episodes, but they were, they're like, um, they're all email. Because like, they have, they have like, a, I think one of my guests, they had like 40,000 followers on LinkedIn. And she didn't have the time to um, go through all the DMs. So she just gave me her email ID. She's like, we'll use it for communication. I said, fair enough. Because the good, best part is when you email someone, it's there. That's one benefit. With LinkedIn DMs, like, I don't remember what's important, what's not. Because you can't mark, mark this as important or something like that. Like you can on an email. Right. Yeah, the folder structure is really helpful, especially for like documents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess mass communication, things like that are... Mm-hmm. A lot of marketing is a lot easier through email. Um, that's why I guess it'll change as, as you move into the professional sphere. It's just necessary, um, mm-hmm. especially while ever. Email is the one thing that's consistent across every organization, right? Like not right. everyone uses Slack. Some have Teams, some have something else. Um, mm-hmm. Email is consistent. That's fair enough. And I can see why people accept email. And it also looks professional, right? I mean, you have a legit um, domain name if you actually pay for it instead of just adregemail.com. Yeah. So and if people annoy you, filter their emails out. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that happens a lot. I mean, a lot of emails, they just get fished out. I mean, if they're not from the company's company emails. So I think that's why email works. I'm actually... It's, it's also a really big weak point in, in a lot of companies that arrive like us huge huge numbers of people click on emails and links that they shouldn't have clicked on um mm. i mean phishing is email right uh, they do it in linkedin and things like that as well but it's much easier to tell if someone is legitimate in linkedin um people still fall for fraudulent accounts um mm. but with email if you are if you have a legitimate domain name as you said a lot of people will open that email and some people will click on the link. Mm. 
that's fair enough and um that's what i think about um like linkedin and email i mean emails i'm like my father's company um i just re- remember i think last month or two months ago um there was this like, my father was working from home now everybody's working remotely in india because we had the second wave so we had to shut down the entire nation so everybody was working from home so i recall my father packing um putting his laptop in a bag and there was a truck or a tempo that came by and it was a truck full of computers and they were going back to the office i said why because um they were setting it up to one a single vpn because there have been um, yeah there was a major phishing scam that happened in the company that caused them a let's say a decent amount of money a lot of money was lost because of simple phishing attack because they thought the client is asking for the money in advance and they just paid a good sum of money in advance and turns out it wasn't the client it was some malicious hacker it was a it was a hacker who just got got hold of their email ids and used it to get some money um so they they lit, it was a truck full of computers they used to um you know give you um set up the vpns and then they gave my father this really weird 16 to 20 digit random um randomly generated password so I, i mean you can literally say like i love pizza in an encrypted form like 1 l 0 v 3 p i z z @rate that could be a good password but no this was i mean they're pretty annoying you know the long ones yeah they, they yeah, no, i agree with that uh, yeah. and that's like what you're describing is an uncommon in the majority of of phishing attempts have been sent to financial people and sales people right like right sales people are probably the ones most likely to forward an invoice onto their financial team mm-hmm. or click the link um anyone in the financial team is probably the person most likely to pay an invoice right so right. they are typically the people targeted most is sales mm-hmm. first and foremost sales second uh finance right and for exactly that reason you only need to fool one person and you get a large amount of money Mm-hmm. that's true and um which is why they now have this practice sessions in which um they um they, they have a cyber security team you now that sends out random practice phishing mails just to these people employees and if they click on it um they are called to the office yes yeah, it's just a link right <laughs> like it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean know. um nothing actually happens but again at the end of the month they're called to the office to tell them that hey this was a wrong email you weren't supposed to click on it Yeah. Yeah, well and I guess you could be more productive than that. Uh, I don't know if you what infosec we have ISO 2701 27001 um mm-hmm. in Australia and like a core component of that is uh security training, awareness training, making sure people understand what not to click on, what they can click on, what they do, what they should do if they see something wrong. Um clear desk policy, lock laptop, like standard cyber hygiene. Um in a in a certification for business right. uh, and they're incredibly effective it's really simple really basic training this kind of awareness it makes people understand the repercussions and what not to do mm. um it's probably the, the best line of defense that we have is just cyber hygiene security mm-hmm. awareness uh, and fairly basic training a number of providers that would do this sort of thing um and it's much more effective than just sending people annoying links and getting mad at them for clicking them right 
So I mean that gives a basic level of protection. But you know, remember, like I spoke about the Project Pegasus, like the advanced level of cyber security. I mean, if a country really wants to um, get into the um, people's system, they can do that with ease today. I mean, this, this technology was created for criminals and terrorists. But um, what I'm seeing is that, like I said before, the um, this is basic. It's like knowing how to read and write in English or a particular language. If um, like you shouldn't have to um read and write in your native language. That's standard cybersecurity awareness. But today, um, like I said, simple phone settings. I mean, I spoke with a guest before. He's I asked him that hey, um, I turn my settings off in my um phone. Like let's say I say that this app cannot access my microphone. Can it? Can is my um phone still at risk? He said yes because most Android phones they're linked with Google. Even if you turn off all the permission for basic application on the phone, Google, since our phone runs on Google, it will still try to um, record my voice to ensure that my phone is um, actually being used or not. Right. And then all, all of this um, data is stored in Google's database and other applications use it for APIs. I mean, now you hear complaints about, I, I, I hear so many complaints when I tell people that um, I have a cybersecurity podcast. The first thing they tell me these days is that um, it's not like there was a time when um, we would talk about something and it would come up on my phone when I opened Instagram and YouTube. But that was okay. I mean, we didn't like it, but okay, that's fair enough. Now I'm thinking about something and it pops up on my phone. It's gone to another level now. I mean, it was just audio, they're listening, but now it's over here. I mean, they, they indirectly know what's going on in our subconscious and what our brain wants. And I mean, I don't blame them. It's it's social media company's job, right? Like they want to make sure you keep on scrolling through your feed. Even LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn wants you to post more content. Yeah, they're, they're posting so many ads on Instagram. You see them. Uh, see, now you can post content on LinkedIn to get a job. Post content on LinkedIn today. I mean, they're running ads like crazy on LinkedIn. On Instagram. LinkedIn, and people, they're posting a lot of ads. And again, like in the end, it's all like, they, they just want you to go through the feed more. But that thought that um, they can literally predict what's going on in your subconscious mind or what are you thinking, that that really scared me. It scared the freak. Uh, it scared the hell out of me. What are your thoughts on like when you um has has this ever happened to you that you're thinking about something and it pops up on your phone? Not speaking, just thinking. Uh. I can't remember if I'd spoken to someone about it or not, but I, I know what you're talking about for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it's not all bad, right? Like it's... In a way, yes. Just the way things are, right? Right, it's just the way things are. I mean, people are talking a lot about the iOS 15 and they're, I mean, it's going to change. It's going to cause a lot of disruption to marketing in other countries, not much in India. Yes, because we use, most Indians use Android phones. So it may not affect the Indian marketplace as much because um, I'm the only person with an iPhone in my household. Everybody else, they have Xiaomi phones. So that's... More and more people are moving away from Apple. No, nah, I mean, no, here people are actually, Apple was never a thing in India because it's too expensive. It became a sign of status in India that because they're so expensive. If you own an iPhone, you're rich. <laughs> 
yeah i mean that's i mean it sounds like a pretty simple like um common middle school middle school thing you know how you people behave in high school middle school that hey you buy certain things to look cool for some people it's an iphone you get an iphone yeah, okay. you yeah you look cool i mean i just got i mean with with me it was it was always that hey it's never gonna be it was never just one apple product i mean i got an ipad as a gift from my uncle once i liked it then that same year and another one of my relatives they gave me their second hand macbook pro i mean it was good as new only 2011 and i just got hooked on to the software the reason i use apple is because i love the software and the, i love the user interface i mean windows it's is awesome. good yeah like you should know how to use everything but it's apple is way nicer i mean even simple stuff like using the terminal i mean it's much better than windows and eventually i got myself an, an iphone a few years later and now i have airpods i mean that's just me and i and i love this ecosystem <laughs> yeah you know it's it's good until you um want to work for something else or uh-huh. you, you go to you go to work and everyone's on um windows mm-hmm. makes your life hard mm-hmm. Mm. Well, what about fifth domain like do you people what do you guys do you have like a standard system of like op- using like only um company allotted devices or you people use your own devices for the for working oh we all, yeah we all have company company provided devices but um that we have an assortment of there are some users who are on Macs um mm. and then the rest of us are on Linux or Windows uh uh-huh. yeah that, that's pretty Yeah, you were saying. Yeah, most of the development team would be Linux, right? Some some of us who are, I guess, outside the development team are, are Linux as well. But anyone who isn't a developer is generally on Windows. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive. I mean, you, have you how how often have you used Linux? Ah, uh, not for a while. Um, to be honest, only when I'm ever doing like cybersecurity training, I only got back into. using it in the last 6 to 8 months and that's because I had to for the kind of cyber side of things otherwise mm. I'm just too familiar with windows now if I'm not coding windows is so much easier it's, it's built for this right right um, impressive right so um moving on Let, let's talk about china right now i mean you China. I mean, now as as of this recording, I think Afghanistan's in the news. But over the last two years, China has always been in the news. We always hear talk um hear about China um getting involved in cyber security attacks. I mean, a recent report I read about like China and Pakistan um cy- using cyber attacks against a lot of um government agencies in India. Um, they use um cyber attacks against Indian companies, and I'm pretty sure it must be the same all over the world. So, what um. I, how do you feel when you read something um about a cyber attack that involves china and that i don't know it varies um ultimately it's likely that australia i'm australian um america etc uh, undertaking the same activities um there are actually no shortage of reports that are confirmed by america that that mm-hmm. prove this um i think it's the easiest place for them to undertake espionage or 
anything that remotely resembles warfare without directly costing lives. I think a lot of what they do would be costing lives. Obviously, there's this damage from uh, impacts to healthcare, impacts to mm. utilities, impacts to, to critical services, which we're seeing a lot of. And I'm sure that goes both ways. Um, but I guess that's an indirect cost of life, uh, loss of cost. life. I think it's another cost of livelihood. More than just yeah, well, lives, loss of livelihood. More and more you're seeing pressure being put back, right? Like after the, yeah. the the recent attacks by Russia, you saw America obviously quite upset and they've started yeah. talking about the rules of engagement. Um, and for the most part, that would be to prevent significant economic damage and mm. prevent loss of life. Um, I think they will continue to allow the private area to be um, available for espionage because there's no direct risk to life. It's far, it's far less direct. Um, mm-hmm. But eventually they will close that door as well and we'll see what happens when that happens. But I think the immediate focus, especially for, for Biden, is around limiting opportunity for these attacks to... to cost lives that's Mm -hmm. shutting down healthcare that's shutting off utilities in critical times um that's i think the focus they have there especially for russia they're probably less loud about it with china but i imagine similar issues are occurring and i imagine china are experiencing very similar uh incidents um i guess more and more you're seeing America start to use these attacks um, as a weapon when they, when they look at like the geopolitical areas, um, right, geopolitical enough. shifts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, recently, you saw Biden call out uh, China for their attacks on America and Germany and a few others and a few other countries, including Canada, Germany, uh, Australia joined America mm-hmm. in kind of shaming China for those attacks. I think the ability to attribute an attack to a particular region is becoming a weapon for America um, or a shield, depending on how we want to look at it. But um, in one sense, it's a shield to stop these attacks. But more than that, it's a weapon to continue to allow America to have such strong say in the kind of the political shifts around the world, being able to... uh, turn countries against China for these cyber attacks while at the same time very likely performing their own um, is a really powerful thing and they're leading leading the charge on that right now. I don't think anyone matches mm-hmm. their capability in terms of understanding and assigning fault and America also very capable in terms of rallying mm-hmm. other countries like us, I think, yeah. Australia, Germany, to, to publicly push back and say, hey, you can't do that. Um, Fair enough. I mean, so basically, cybersecurity. You're saying that cybersecurity is also playing a major role, not only in like the warfare part. It's also being used as a political football for um to get countries together against some other country. Yeah, hundred percent. Like uh, America, definitely trying to. There's a there's a consistent push between China and America for. Mm-hmm. world dominance is the number one and number two economic powers in the world they will always clash um 
uh, it's not limited to countries that's sport that's everything like yeah first and second compete um and they compete on very different uh, playgrounds at the moment 100 um, and america wants to stay number one mm. for them for them to decide um so yeah cyber is a part of that and it's not just open espionage it's not warfare mm. in its entirety it is um moves and counter moves it is securing your resources right like right if you can undermine the financial stability of a, a company that mm. provides uh, fertilizer for your crops and you are a country like china who fertilizes a significant amount of crops and you can consume or purchase that company while it's in strife well that's that's very helpful um Mm. Never mind if you're the ones who put it in strife, you can get out of that strife because you can stop yeah. causing the problems. Um, if you can influence the cost of iron ore in the lead up to procuring a significant amount of iron ore because you're about to undertake a large amount of infrastructure, that's beneficial to a country to do that, um, right. especially if you can't be caught. And part of catching these people out now is trying to A, prevent it and B, hold them accountable so you can prevent those I guess benefits, losses on one side and benefits on the other. Um, right. And that, that this happens consistently across the globe already. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, like you said, um, like the main problem comes over here is um, catching these people. Like these, um, c- catching these countries is, it's hard. Right. If, if somebody does any cyber attack, it, it's very hard to actually catch them because you need proof. You need to gather every single piece of evidence. It's a long and tedious process. Well, and you have to, even if you catch where the attackers come from, you have to, you can't assign fault to the government because it could be a mm. private enterprise. Um, as we saw with right. Ravel, who are now dark side, who were um, a, a Russian organization. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't, part of the government um they had a fairly successful cyber attack it garnered the attention of biden specifically and and the american government um subsequently that organization vanished took down their infrastructure everything was gone and a new organization has spawned that's very similar but slightly different ultimately you can't hold this one accountable for the actions of the one before because it's not the same organization and either way they're both entities right um So, I mean, that, that, like you were talking about, so basically um, blaming the government for um, something that goes wrong in your country does not get the job done because um, you, you, you can't blame the government for everything. Like you said in this example, the Russian government was not directly involved. Yeah, well, I guess in this instance, the uh, Biden government more or less said, we all know this is coming from Russia, so do you. You need to do something about this or we will. Um, and I imagine part of the reason... Revel, the organization vanishes because the Russian government told them they need to pull their heads in and sort this out. Because mm. at the end of the day, they don't want America reaching in and trying to deal with this situation on their soil. They'd rather yeah. toe that line and, and kind of keep them in line within reason. Um, like right. how, how close to the edge can you get before someone like America pays attention? Um, this, this company got too close to the edge and they, America told Russia to deal with it, so they did. 
they really formed an organization. Their new organization said it wouldn't attack healthcare, utilities, et cetera, et cetera. More or less, they said they wouldn't do the things that were upsetting America. Um, and that was the end of it. And we'll probably see more and more of that, especially with Russia, who are less about espionage and more about uh, random destruction, mm-hmm. uh, ransomware, chaos. Yeah. I mean, they, China are much yeah. more discreet in consuming and influencing and dictating what happens on the world mm-hmm. stage. They're both pretty, I mean, they're both trying different techniques to just kind of cause harm to other countries. Like specifically, US is one big one. They're just trying to cause trouble in other countries so that they can come out on the top. That's just what I. That's just what I see. Yeah, South Korea would be wearing a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they'd be constantly under attack from North Korea, uh, but you see more and more attacks from China as well. Um, recently, there are a large number. I think. Over the past two years, there have been infiltrations in Israel from China. Um, mm. But they are more discreet, they are more patient, and they are stealing, they are consuming technology and intellectual property rather than you're talking shutting about, down gas. You're talking about Israel or China now? China against Israel. So, but uh-huh. China against South Korea, they, they stole the... Um, the Hawk, the new South Korean developed uh, uh, plane, fighter jet, um, that was stolen. Mm-hmm. Nah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, so basically they're trying to steal what is um, the, a pretty valuable resource from every country. Like in America, it was, a ga- I think gas had a lot to do with America because I think that's how America made a lot of money back. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know American history, but I recall America using gas as a resource to make a lot of money. They used the oil industry to make a lot of money in the um, 20th century, right? So I mean, I I just feel like they're at um China specifically um, looks at the one of the most valuable and um an asset that is valuable as well as vulnerable vulnerable at the same time. And I think they plan accordingly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that is, I mean, I don't know how it is in, in India, but in Australia, it's our universities, um, our research, our knowledge, um, technologies that are being developed for our universities yeah. are consistently under attack. Um, we're seeing a shift in Australia now where universities are building cyber hubs, so fifth domain, uh, our new office, Whenever that opens, it was meant to be shortly, but um, COVID hit and that's obviously delayed things. Mm-hmm. We'll be on campus at the University of New South Wales, the campus that's in, in Canberra. And part of that is about integrating uh, cyber, the cyber ecosystem mm-hmm. with our universities. That'll happen more and more at universities to right. best prepare them for cyber attacks. I know. And I mean, Another thing that I've seen, like, I don't think it's a particularly good thing in colleges that when you're teaching tech students about cybersecurity, you're giving them basic awareness. I mean, the kid already knows that stuff, how to protect yourself from phishing attacks. I mean, you don't learn this stuff. You, a tech kid in college already knows that stuff. I mean, teach him real stuff on like proper cybersecurity, right? Teach him on net, um, how networking works. Teach him how um, Web Street works and how... Um, they scan the network and you get a good map in front of your eyes on what's going on with your computer. 
I mean, some real skills would be nice. But again, in the end, we, we, you, why do you want to complain and blame other people? Just learn it yourself. Like when you have the internet, you can use it yourself. Right. Yeah, well, and there's also, I mean, there's only so much you can do to stop someone clicking on something they shouldn't click uh, on, right? Right. Um, and once they're in, you need to have people who understand how to get them out or how to stop that or how to notice that they're in there. Um, that seems to be the biggest issue is that it's really hard and really slow trying to notice who is in a network and how long they've been there for, what they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean... It- it's going to take some training, but I, I think any country, I mean, let's talk about particularly India right now. Um, how long do you think it will take for um, other companies to like literally outsource a lot of their work in India? Like how long, how many years do you think it will take when, until we reach a point where we realize that, um, okay, India is dominating the cybersecurity space because a lot of um, our work has been outsourced to Indians. it'll be hard and it'll be slow. Like it'll, it'll probably be a long time before it's recognized. I think even now people try not to, it's not widely recognized that mm-hmm. software development's been outsourced. Yeah, in India. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, we still have a lot of, a lot of software developers, but uh, it's not something that's really spoken about. Um, it's quite some time before it's kind of realized, recognized, acknowledged, but mm-hmm. I think it's probably happening now. Uh, especially for tier one SOC analysts in particular, but more and more it'll happen. It'll be a bit slower with the like, government and defense. It's never going to happen with because they want sovereign resources uh, for the same reason that you need a security clearance to work in most of those organizations, right? Yeah. Right. Um, but private, private enterprise don't, they're not hamstrung in that same way, uh, especially private enterprise that are multinational, right? Like they don't need sovereign resources in each country. They need resources to deal with a multinational organization. Um, mm. If I'm a business that owns 40 businesses and those businesses are in 15 different countries, I don't need 15 different SOC areas. I need one to service everything. Where that is, it doesn't actually matter to me as long as it's 24 seven and they're good. Uh, and if China or India or Nepal or someone else is cheaper, they'll probably look to those countries, right? If they have a business mm. in China, I can see that they would have a SOC in China. Uh, fair enough. Yes. That's yeah. what they will look for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one point we missed out on is the security aspect of how China is so so the reason I think China is so secure is because they have a national level firewall and they have this huge firewall in um, that protects most of the Chinese enterprise from any outsider company. I mean, China has banned YouTube, most of the platform that we use, YouTube, Instagram, they're all banned in China. You don't see them, you don't use them. I mean, similarly, India, we banned TikTok because um, I think one reason why we banned TikTok, like, like the reason China China bans foreign applications is because I think it's not just security, but it's also the influence part that they want to control how the people of China are influenced and they can do so by native applications. And I think that's one reason why we banned TikTok in India. Because I mean, there's obviously that the data data issue. I mean, every but that's every social media company that has a that has data issues. Like we're just trying to say it's, it's particularly China, but that's not the case here. I think it has a lot to do with the increase in Chinese influence on a Chinese platform. Because um, if if you ever um, do you watch Instagram Reels and TikToks? Uh, 
Uh, Instagram, not 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 TikTok. No, okay. Okay, so I mean, um, if you ever go through the reels, there are there are so many trends. Like there are multiple trends with music going on in there, right? And the, the what's going on? Like what's something I have observed as a consumer is that um, you listen to the same music multiple times. It's like if I'm I may not um, it's just replicated in my mind. I mean, I know exactly. I know the entire song entirely. I know the, I know the entire music. I know the name of the music. I know the beats now. I mean, like I may not be able to um, a kid may not be able to study properly for an exam, but hey, if he's able to go through TikTok, he knows the music, he knows the, what the trend is, right? So, I think that repetition can be misused into feeding a lot of negative information by the Chinese in the subconscious mind. Right? It can be. It could be potentially used to um. Bring a put a wrong message in our subconscious about um maybe let's say something even as simple as our what we think about our country right if it's in the wrong hands the algorithm is programmed such that let's say if China had access on doing whatever they wanted they could literally bring out some negative music that talks shit about my country and because it's on a trend it first of all it would it would take very long for the government to say that okay take these videos down because first of all they're too many and second these at least these platforms are designed such that Even if you wait twenty four hours, these videos they have lakhs and millions of views, right? And it's already reached millions of people. And deep down, it's the, 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 they already got the job done. You see where well, I'm going with like this? I mean, it's the same with Facebook, right? Like, there's a huge push right now against um, misinformation, especially around COVID in particular, right? Like, right? Uh, it's like what twelve voices influence an insane amount of people who are. Anti-vax, anti-vaccination. Um, Facebook spent a lot of time trying to manage that noise, but it's really hard with social media. Once it has an audience, once it has, um, as you've said, like once it's trending, it spreads, mm-hmm. and it's hard to I undo mean, the damage. Yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to talk about is on. yeah, and I'm trying to talk about control specifically. I mean. Like let's say you're talking about I don't want to talk a lot about vaccines, but since we're like it could be either way. Like um, you could maybe um, you're trying to just control voice now. In a lot of cases, um, trying to um, like what I'm trying to say is that um, don't try and con- um, give absolute authority to one single entity. In the case of TikTok, China had absolute authority. They could do whatever they wanted with their platform. They didn't like a video, they could take it out. They could start some. They could um. Reprogram the algorithm in China. They could use that service to um, manipulate p- um, people into believing different things about China. It could happen, right? Um, same for any. I think same for any platform. Like you were talking about um, anti-vaxxers and vaxxers. I mean, now there's 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 a responsibility of like free speech and I don't know like bullying other people and like bullying other people who want to take the vaccine or don't want to take the vaccine. Right, I mean, like I personally don't care because I've already taken the shot. So I mean, if whatever happens, happens. People are like, "Are you vax, anti-vax?" I'm like, I don't care. I've taken the vaccine. I've taken the shot. Let's see what happens. <laughs> right. So I'm kind of like, uh, just. What do you think about uh, like people just trying to bully um a, a particular group just because they don't agree with each other? I mean, there's a lot of polarization going on social media right now, right? Yeah, um, it's a complicated question. 
And I guess it varies. There are definitely times when it's important to do. This is probably one of those times. Um, ultimately, the, the decision of a few here could cost the lives of many. Um, is it reasonable for us to influence them because mm-hmm. their decision takes the lives of like, will cost the lives and it will cost the lives of others. Um, mm-hmm. I guess also I come from Australia where we don't have free speech. Um, it's not a right. We don't have a constitution that says we have the right to free speech. And I don't think we should. Like if you're, uh, there are definitely thoughts that I don't think people should have the right to share. Um, I think people sharing those thoughts can cause a lot of harm. Vaccines is a really good example of that. Um, Sharing misinformation about vaccinations, whether you're intentionally ignorant or just ignorant, if it is factually incorrect and science says that, you shouldn't be allowed to share that information if it comes at the expense of others. And in this case, it does come at the expense of others. Um, Mm. I wish there had been a harder line on things like climate change, um, we know what's happening, right? There were quite a number of people who denied it. They're idiots. Um, we shouldn't have given them the voice that we gave them because that voice grew and it caused problems. Um, mm. And we know they were wrong. We knew they were wrong at the time. Uh, some astronomical, like 98% of scientists all agree that it is certainly a thing. And they did that 15 years ago. It's only in the last two or three years that people are like, yeah, it's definitely a thing. No, we knew it back then just some loud people um, influenced a large amount of people and that will cost lives. It will, it's costing lives already, right? Like we can see the increase in, in fires and a bunch of other things mm-hmm. and that's costing lives. It's costing homes. And that's because we gave those people a voice and we knew we shouldn't have because the people we should have been listening to told us that they were wrong. And it's the same here. Scientists are telling us this vaccine will save lives. And if people don't take the vaccine, people will lose lives. And we're seeing people lose their lives. They shouldn't be given the voice. Um, Interesting. Not always. I mean, I disagree with you on that. I mean, I mean, like, if you wanna, if let's say a particular community like tries to say something, I mean, there are, if there are definitely, I mean, that's social media, like that's free space. I mean, if a particular community is trying their best to, you know, bring out their opinion, and, and, and there's obviously some other people who, let's say, for instance, let's talk about climate change. Like, if there's some people who just say that, oh, it doesn't exist. There are definitely people on this, these platforms who also believe that, hey, climate change exists. I, would, I mean, if, ever, if, it, if it were up to me, I would be like, let the debate happen, let people see all the facts and how they're debating and let them decide what they want to decide. If it's real or not, because in the end, if it's, if it's a real thing, we have to face it together. If it's not, um, at least now you know what's going on. Right, let's not, I mean, like, that's what I'm trying to say. Not everyone is always open to being wrong or being open to the other side, right? So you'll never get consensus. And if you wait in that, we do what we did right now with climate change. Climate change and the vaccine are great examples, right? Like mm-hmm. climate change, we're about 15 years too late. And it's because we let the debate happen. We shouldn't have. What we really needed was, was leadership who were willing to do something. What we really needed was our goal to win his election. Um, if anyone doesn't or hasn't watched the latest South Park episodes, you should watch the two Al Gore episodes again, they're glorious. They encapsulate this really well. Um, But it's, I get what you're saying, um, but in practice, it doesn't work. And in practice, when you let that voice grow, it can cause a lot of harm. Um, 
And I guess that's the conversation. Is free speech worth a lot of harm? I don't know. Some people probably say it is. Um, I, mean, the, again, I mean, even on a um, security level, like there are a lot of national secrets that shouldn't be um, spoken about in front of people. I mean, that's one place where you shouldn't have the freedom to talk about. You shouldn't have the right to talk about a lot of national secrets on social media. That's wrong. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm kind of, I understand what, what you're trying to say. Yeah, like it's complicated, right? And it's mm-hmm. complicated because it's dangerous, because silencing people is really dangerous. Um, we've seen a lot of examples where silencing people is done by an oppressive group who are mm-hmm. trying to silence innovation, right? Um, mm. it's quite possible we see something very similar to that in um, Afghanistan soon um, yeah. you saw like the I, recent video quite, I mean I saw a guy yes. um, falling off from the plane that, that was very disturbing I mean people were fleeing to the United States they, they sat on the wheels of the plane like, you know the wheels are on the bottom like, yeah. and a few of them fell down from the wheel section. I mean, that was pretty disturbing to see. Yeah, and it's because they are about to be silenced, right? So there are times when it's really dangerous and it's really, I mean, it's something you should defend, but Mm -hmm. that's a really complicated situation. And it's, yeah. I don't know. I feel like everyone has to make a call on what's in front of them um, and try and educate themselves as best they can. Because mm-hmm. it isn't, you know, it can't be black and white, right? You can't say yes yeah. or no all of the time. I agree. You can't say yes or no. So I think I don't know. I think that's for freedom of speech. I would just say like, let's just let things unfold. We'll see what needs to be done, and people, the the let's just hope the right things happen at the right time. That's all we can say, right? As individuals, that's yeah, all we can see, do. <laughs> looking back, it feels like a lot of the time things happen the way they should happen. Um, so you let it play out, but lots of effort goes into making sure things play out the right way, right? Uh-huh. Fair enough. Okay. So, wow. And we are a pretty long episode, man. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, um, the best part is Zoom just waved off my 40-minute time limit. So I'm like, hey, that's much better now. I have no time at all. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So just um, one last thing. I think we'll... It's been a pretty long episode and I think we should wrap things up. So, Jack, three things you want to leave um, the audience of my podcast with. Three things. The first, um, tomorrow morning I'm pushing out a, um, a survey. I'm keen to get people's thoughts on the best people and organizations to follow for, I guess, cyber threat intelligence information. Um, I'm super keen for everyone's feedback on that. So if you're watching this, I'll put the links in the comments when this goes up. Sure. Um, please give me your feedback. If you just want the consolidated list to see what it looks like, mm-hmm. um, just send your email in and I'll send you a copy of the list. Um, point number one. Um, point number two, there are lots of different pathways um, to get into the field of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. And, you can kind of forge your own path. You can take a path that exists and, and follow it as best you can. Um, ultimately, it's just about being determined and, and finding a way in, right? Um, you can run a podcast. You can start a business. You can go through uni. You can self-teach yourself. Um, there's lots of opportunities there. And, and the final thing is, um, if you want to start an MSSP uh, in India, reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn, and I am excited to get involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of Indians are going to be interested in getting into in an MSSP. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, right. it's a, it's a really good opportunity. Anyway, mm-hmm. thanks right. for having me on. Right, that was pretty impressive. Thanks for being on my show. Peace.